Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, what a great truth that we have been encouraging each other with. First of all, that our Savior wears the victor's crown. He has overcome the world. And because of that, he has made us overcomers. We are overcomers of the world as well. Oh God, I pray that we might step up and take our rightful position as those who uh, no longer have to live under the tyranny of, of this world's power. But we have been liberated and rescued by the overcoming Christ to be victors as well. We are more than conquerors through Christ our Savior. And oh God, we thank you that you are able to save because in our lives we have many people we love and care about that are not yet saved. And so it matters to us to know that you are yet able to save and it is your desire, your will, your heart that none would perish but that all would come to faith in Christ Jesus. And so we live our lives in light of that truth. Oh God, I pray that we would live this ministry in light of that truth. This would be an um, optimistic mission. Father, that we would be encouraged every day of our lives, knowing full well that you are able to save to the uttermost. And oh God, we thank you for that. And for those of us who are saved here today, Father, we have come to celebrate Jesus Christ to thank you for all that you've done for us, to thank you for how you saved us, that Jesus died for us, that we might be saved. And now, our Father, I pray as we turn our attention to the uh, uh, serious matter of living out these truths and preparation for uh, this act of loyalty to come to the table of the Lord this morning, I pray, Father, that you would press on our hearts the urgency of the hour, that our feet might not slip from the sure pathway you've placed us on, oh God. I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that our ushers are at, busy at work repositioning um, people so that we aren't uh, breaking any fire codes. Once the children left, we had a few spaces here, so what a great crowd this morning. We're glad you're here. Welcome to, uh, uh, to this time together. And um, we're just a little, just have to squish in a little bit and, and uh, enjoy our company. I saw yesterday with my own eyes our own Arnold Hicks give Sammy Powers a holy kiss. Did, did we not see that? Did we not witness that publicly yesterday? It was a, a moving, it was a moving moment indeed to see the scriptures. Wasn't it, Calvin? To see them just played right out before us. Sure. Yeah. But Kelvin is saying he doesn't want any holy kisses from Arnold Hicks anytime soon. <laughs> you know, um, with a couple of exceptions, one of these does not look like the others. And uh, so, this is going to be one of those sermons where I can't afford to have this jacket on, Kelvin. I'm going to take it off and join you. I never know how to dress for the Lord's table. I mean, it's the Lord's table, you know. He's, the, he's invited us to this, and, and um, so there we are. Um, I want to share with you something this morning that's a bit of an interruption in our series, but not really. I, I did not intend to preach this sermon um, 
this morning. I had something else planned, but I brought a devotional to our, our pastoral team Tuesday, and uh, there was some urgency from their perspective that maybe this was the right sermon for our congregation. And um, I, I want to tell you this morning that, I, that, that I, I spoke to the guys about a, a really huge burden in my life, a really hu huge burden on my heart about the state of affairs in the Christian context, in light of where we live and what the times we live in are like. And I had thought, well, maybe I should just um, write this down and, and um, put it on our website and, and invite the congregation to read it and just some reflections and thoughts about where we're at. Uh, but uh, pressed from the team and the Lord, uh, I, I want to bring to you uh, <clears throat> something that's really burdened my heart. And, and um, it, it is in fitting, it, it fits in with our series on evangelism because um, what I'm really burdened about is, is the potential and danger of reverse evangelism. What I mean by that is we are called as God's people to go out and reach the lost for Christ. We're, we're called to be salt and light. We're called to make a difference in the world and rescue people who are perishing with our message, to, to rescue them out of the, the murky uh, waters of this world. And what is burdening my heart, and deeply burdening my heart, and not just recently, but over some time, is, is the concern that perhaps the world is evangelizing us. And that the world's values are pressing in upon us and pulling us in the direction of the world. And so um, I'm, I'm going to invite you this morning to uh, join with me in the book of Isaiah, the first three chapters there, and I want to uh, say up front that whenever you go to the prophets, it's, um, it always has a different tone. And you may get the impression as I deliver this, as I try to simply deliver God's word to you that I'm angry or even angry at you. I'm not. I, I love, love this congregation so much. Uh, I remember my parents when they were going to discipline me. My, my dad in particular would say, you know, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I never bought it for a second. Because it always seemed to hurt me more. Until I became a parent. And then I realized it was truthful. He was telling me the truth. We love our kids so much that the last thing in the world we ever want to do is discipline them, really. And God loves you so much. And he, he wants to tell you the truth. And the truth really matters in these days where everything's murky and fudgy. And so in light of the burden that I had in my heart, I went lurking, looking in the scriptures. I went searching to see if I could find a, a Bible time that was or had the feel of our own time. And I, I, I found Isaiah, it was 800 years before Christ appeared in person on earth. And, and it was a time when God's people were allowing the values of the world to have a greater impact on them than the Lord himself. And, um, 
And so Isaiah presents this message from God, and we'll only take a selective look here today, but, but as I looked at this, I was uh, really, quite frankly, blown away by how parallel it was with our moment. It, it was incredible as I looked at it, and I realized that, that this is a description of the day we're living in, and, and, and God has laid it on my heart that in the fall we're going to do a series on how to live righteously while everybody around you is doing what they think is right in their own eyes. And I think it's going to be, it's a study in Judges. I think, I think it's going to be really um, transforming and, and, and life-changing for us, as God's Word always is. But here's the call today for us. What about the danger of becoming the fish? You know, Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. And we understand the, that that's, uh, you know, the metaphor of all of that and all, and, and all. But what about the danger of us becoming the fish? Not being rescued out of, uh, um, you know, not being rescued out of lostness, but in fact being preyed upon, netted by the world. What about that? And in Isaiah, just briefly in a nutshell, there were really four really obvious signs that um, they were being preyed upon by the world and they were being, the nets were drawing them toward the thinking of the world. And these are observations that you might be in danger of in your own life. Let me just rhyme them off to you. They are these, four of them. We're going to look at them. Guaranteed security is your most important aim in life. Think about this. Is this where you're at? Because this is where they were at. This is where God's people were at at the time of Isaiah, 800 years before Christ came. They, the, that guaranteed security was the most important aim in their lives, and their actions were demonstrating that they were believing that the security was found in the powers of this world. There was a second issue in this particular uh, prophet was speaking to, and that was that human desires and goals had become the ultimate reality of life. It was consuming everything about them. The third was when it, come, when it came to taking care of themselves, uh, being God seemed more desirable than serving God. In other words, they were worshiping their human ability as opposed to God. And the fourth was this, that they were becoming desensitized to how awful the pond is that they were living in and how in trouble the surroundings have become. And I, I'm quite honestly convinced that this is a description of the modern, the, <coughs> excuse me, the present church. And um, is the danger in our own church? And this wouldn't be the first time, of course, in Isaiah. And the consequences, of course, were exile. The people of God went into exile for a number of years, you know, 70 years to be exact. <coughs> it's allergy, allergy time for me, so I don't have any contagious illness that I know of. It's allergies. <laughs> Brother, thank you. I thought you were running away from me, but <laughs> I should have known better, Calvin. You serve so well. If the church doesn't take radical action, this is, this is on my heart. If the church doesn't take radical action in reaching the culture... Right now, we have no chance of slowing down the fast track of Canada into social ruin. That, that's what I'm really believing. Some suggest we live in a time described as pre- or post-Christian. I want to submit to you today that I am going to present to you what I believe is 
not pre-Christian or post-Christian culture, but actually post-pagan culture. All right, that is where we have actually gone beyond the sense or awareness of God at all. And um, beyond even pagan civilizations. I want to read a a litany of scripture texts to you this morning. They're going to appear on the the screen, but I also love for you to look in your own Bibles because I want you to see it with your own eyes. Listen to these things. Isaiah 1, 29, for instance. See how the faithful city has become a prostitute. She once was full of justice, righteousness used to dwell in her, but now murderers. Anybody remember when our city, Toronto, was called Toronto the Good? Anybody remember that? That's what it used to be called. Do you think anybody in the world would call Toronto, Toronto the Good now? See how the faithful, verse 21, or sorry, uh, verse 23, your rulers are rebels, partners with thieves. They all love bribes and chase after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before them. Is it not true that we are currently being led by crackheads and corrupt people? Chasing bribes for electoral causes like some third world country? I mean, let's be honest. Isaiah 3, 9, they look, the look on their faces testifies against them. They parade their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them, they have brought disaster upon themselves. This is World Pride Week in the greater Toronto area. In verse, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manger, but Israel does not know, or my people do not understand. Woe to this sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and have turned their backs on Him. It says here in the text, even the animals know their way, know who owns them and their way home. Even animals know. Now, here's why I'm calling the time we live in post-pagan. Throughout human history, and anthropologists will tell you this is is the case, you do your own study. Throughout human history, all peoples have sought to appease the gods or God to avert the wrath of the gods. They mostly have got it wrong, I mean, Jesus Christ is called our propitiation. What we were celebrating here this morning, the Lord's table, Jesus Christ is our propitiation. That's a big theological word which simply means that Jesus Christ has diverted the wrath of God for us so that the wrath of God no longer rests on us. We've been pardoned from our sin. We have been placed in Christ. We are viewed by God in the righteousness of Christ. But it is the nature of people to believe naturally that there's a need to appease the gods 
to divert the wrath of the gods, to keep in good with the gods. You study any world religions, and whether they're offering sacrifices of fruit or sacrifices, human sacrifices, or whatever they're doing with their works or whatever, it's to keep God happy or the gods happy. And again, we know that for the most part, all of that doesn't make a difference to God. But we are living in a time that's unprecedented. We are living in a time where people are celebrating the anger of God. It's completely bizarre. Never before have have people put on parade in a great city the evidence of the wrath of God and saying we're excited and going to celebrate at how angry we are making God. Beloved, I mean, I woke up one morning about two weeks ago and this hit me. And I thought to myself, I can't believe this. I I can't believe the time we live in. Now, you're looking at me saying, well, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what you, if you're right about that. Well, let me just take you to Romans 1.18. It'll be on the screen. Listen, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, listen to me. When God becomes angry... He shows it by giving people over to greater sin. That's how God operates. Okay? Romans 1, 26 to 28, verse 32. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do not so that they do what ought not to be done. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. This week, our city is cheering on the exhibition of God's anger. And beloved, we should be upset about that. It should bother us. How are we going to explain this to our children? That we live in a humanity, in a time in humanity that actually puts on a parade to say we're excited about the fact that we're making God really angry with us. And what do we think the fallout of that is going to be? Some of us are getting used to the pond and its ways. And that's the plan of Satan. We are the frogs in the kettle. The heat is being turned up and we're not noticing it. Or we're noticing it and we don't know what to do about it. Beginning to make decisions the same way as the pond dwellers that we are trying to fish out of the pond. Economics are more important to us than biblical ethics. We would trade our righteous values for the promise of a job. What is Jesus worth to you? 
Money trumps morals. What are we told to do? It says in the word of God that we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then what? And then all these things will be added to you. We are trusting in the power structures of this world to take care of us regardless of how corrupt and unrighteous they are. We might as well put a moniker in corrupt governments we trust. Do you? I don't. I don't. And God says to us in Isaiah 3, 4 that I will make mere youths your officials. Children will rule over you. Youths oppress my people. Women rule over them. My people, your guides, lead you astray. They turn you from the path. Is it true that we are allowing guaranteed security to be more important to us than righteous values? And I would put guaranteed in quotation marks. Are our new human desires and goals in the church, the good life is more important than the godly life? So when the rubber really hits the road, do we believe that God will take care of us? His righteous ones? Well, he says he will. Isaiah 3.10, look at it. Tell the righteous it will be well with them, for they will enjoy the fruit of their deeds. This is what God promises to you and to me, if we will take him up on it. But if we continue this course, God will keep taking away our supplies and our support and our securities and all the things that he promised to add to those who seek him first. Isaiah 3, 1 to 3. See now the Lord Almighty. The Lord Almighty is about to take from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support, all the supplies of food and all the supplies of water and the hero and the warrior, the judge and the prophet, the, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the man of rank, the counselor, skilled craftsman and clever enchanters. God is saying here, if you will not turn back to me, if you will not call right right and wrong, wrong, I will take away from you every skilled leader you have. The ones that were helping you, the ones that were taking care of you, I will remove them. Because you are worshiping creation rather than the creator. And the debts to finance our sinfulness and greed are going to bring internal anarchy to a once God-seeking nation. You know, you turn on the TV and you're watching all of these different places in the world fighting internally. We're really, really close. He said, no, come on, come on. Yes, we are. We are really, really close to a social rebellion. Isaiah 3, 5, people will oppress each other, man against man, neighbor against neighbor. The young will rise up against the old, the nobody against the honored. What we watch from a distance now in the news is coming to a neighborhood near you. Do you think we can make God angry with impunity? Whoa, and why are God's people acting like the sinful and insecure around us? Why are we diving headfirst into, into sin? Copying the strategies of the world for obtaining security and caught in the nets of unrighteousness? 
when we are supposed to be rescuing the lost and we need to be rescued ourselves. The sin in our lives is consuming our own lives and our families. It's ruining us. We're in no shape to fish. In a few moments, we're about to come to the table of loyalty to Christ. That's what this table means. Because of what he's done for us, we offer our all to him. How are we going to teach our children to understand the way things are around us? And we won't fish if we don't know why it matters. If there was ever a time for a church to come alive in righteousness and evangelism, it is right now. It is so urgent and it must start in each of our hearts. It must start in each of our families. We must say enough of this. We are not going to dabble with stuff that's going to endanger our hearts before Christ. We are not going to do that. And we are going to call righteousness righteousness. And we are going to call immorality immorality. We have to. We're going to hand, we're, we're, we're dedicating babies up. We're going to hand them nothing but exile. I'm going to give you um, three things to take away, and then we're done. Ravi Zacharias said this, you cannot set tepid Christianity beside a scorching paganism. Wow. I mean, that, that describes this exactly. You cannot. Listen, if you're dabbling in this thing, um, Adrian came in here last Sunday morning, put the chairs up on the thing and said, if, this is, if you're not going to be first chair living, you're going to be swept away. You cannot. Listen, when, when they're holding a parade to making God angry, when that's the other side of this coin, you can't. You can't live beside that with a mamby-pamby Christianity. You cannot. You will be destroyed. You will be burned up. Tepid Christianity is not going to cut it anymore in these days. When you have scorching paganism, and I say post-paganism, I don't want to get political here, although it may sound like I am. But our city rejected a righteous leader in this past election. A, a godly guy who comes to this church. And I'm not sure what's going to happen to us. Let me give you these three aims and we'll be, we'll, these three aims to shoot at targets to go for. Your most important aim in life, number one, 
must be to be rightly related to Jesus Christ, who alone is your security. The powers and promises of this unrighteous world are no source of your security. Your marriage in trouble? I can tell you right now you're in trouble with Jesus. There's no marriage in trouble where the people in the marriage are fired up and have got it right with Jesus Christ. Just isn't going to happen. So if you're uh, thinking that spending a bunch of money on professional counselors is going to help you and that's the source of your security to bring your marriage around, I'm just telling you as a Christian, it won't do anything. You'll just be wasting your money. Get right with Jesus Christ. 100% right with Jesus Christ. And your marriage will be fine. Your relationships will be fine. Two people whether they be friends or married, both on fire for the Lord, will have a great relationship. Can I get an amen? amen. I don't know if you're with me or against me. <laughs> or you're shell-shocked. First chair living, whether it be employment, health, safety, decision-making, your security is not in the strategies of this world and not relying on government officials who are unrighteous to take care of you. Amen. Our needs are not primary. Our desires and our goals are not the ultimate reality for us. God is. Secondly, you must not have an everyday physical world that is disconnected from your heavenly spiritual world. Listen, we, you can't be part-time faith. You can't divide in your own life the secular and the sacred. You, you can't say, you know, I'm going to divide church and state in my life. That's ridiculous. It doesn't work. You are a full-time follower of Jesus Christ or you're going to get swept away by the tides of this world. Whether you eat or drink, this is what my Bible says anyway, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, what does it say? Come on, church. Do all to the glory of God. Whatever and all are important words for us, aren't they? There's no secular there. There's just sacred. It's whatever all, it's all about God, it's all to God's glory. You don't go to work and become secular, come to church and become sacred. You can't live that way. You'll lose your children for one thing. I guarantee you'll lose your children. If you try to play part-time faith, they see through that a mile away. They know it's not genuine, it's not real, it's hypocritical. You try to be playing this cat and mouse game, you're going to get burned. This is not the way we are called to live. There's no faith religion in one section of our lives and secular in another. We were born again into the kingdom of God. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you will not even see the kingdom of God. Well, once you're born again, you are placed in the kingdom of God. That means you're placed in a new domain. That means everything comes under the lordship of the king in his kingdom. That's what living must be in this post pagan Toronto we live in or we'll be swept away every decision 
Every decision is not an economic decision. It's not an employment decision. It's not a strength decision. Every decision is first a God decision. Every decision. Every decision is what about God? Everything that I do, everything I decide, every decision I'm going to make, it's what about God? It's first a God decision. And then the third is this. You must and I must embrace the magnitude of the peril that our country is in. I, I don't know that we're alarmed enough. Parading how angry we've made God, we think that's a really neat thing to do. We might as well empty all the prisons and put them on floats and parade them through the city streets as well. Let's bring all the murderers and all the rapists and everything and put them on floats and let's take them down the center of our cities and celebrate their lifestyle. We wouldn't even think of doing that. We're doing it. While we get tolerant, the other side is exterminating Christian thought values and principles from our land. Let me just give you three quick ones. Trinity Western University. Because their moral values in that university are that sex should be reserved for marriage which used to be the prevalent moral of our whole country, whether you were a Christian or not, are being censored province by province. Their graduates in the law school are being censored province by province in our country. So that just because you believe that sex should be saved for marriage, you can't practice law in Ontario. Now what kind of lawyers do you want to have? What kind of judges do we want to have? Why are we allowing this incredible, outrageous affront to everything that's right? Continue. The promoting of ungodly values concerning sexuality as core curriculum of our public schools has to be resisted. Amen. I'm not suggesting that our public schools should teach Christianity or teach the salvation message. But our public schools must not be allowed to teach as proper ungodly sexual morals, immora, immorality as core curriculum. Amen. That's not core curriculum. Teach them how to add and subtract. Teach them how to read and write. But don't teach them anything about morality. Let the parents teach them about morality. That's not the public school system job. Justin Trudeau. Has taken his father's ideology to seed. 
Justin Trudeau is hijacking a free society. When you start to tell politicians that you can no longer serve in our party unless you toe the party line on moral issues, you have surrendered democracy. And I can't, for the life of me, understand why the liberal media is not in complete alarm mode. If we tried that, if Christians even one tiny little smell of imposing our moral our moral fabric on the politician, they would scream as loud as they could. You're eroding dem democratic rights. And I hope as Christians, we are going to send messages when we have political opportunities to vote while we still do. And start voting on the basis of righteousness and not on the basis of economic security. Because it, are we so short-sighted that we don't understand that it is righteousness that exalts a nation? It is righteousness that will put security in our families. It's righteousness that will lift up the economy. Not the other way around. So if most Christians insist on continuing to simply stare at Christianity instead of being all in, Canada is going to hell in a handbasket. And so with this, we'll transition into communion. Every decision, people, beloved who I love, is a God decision. Every decision is first a God decision. Can that become the new motto of your life and your family and our church? Every decision is first a God decision. Let's, let's stand up because you need to stand up. And we need to stand in the presence of God. You know, the greatest business meeting we've ever had in 13 years was a couple weeks ago. We had a prayer meeting. We didn't have a political meeting. We had a prayer meeting. And we called on God because every decision is first a God decision. And God is leading us and he's helping us. And he's making decisions for us. And we're following him, and I like to follow God. I don't want to be running ahead of God. Our Father and our God, we come before you. We stand before you. We stand in your presence, and we ask you to forgive us. Oh, God, we, we are confessing that we are, as Isaiah said, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And oh, God, that is us. And Lord, we are asking, you know, what do you want 
in the presence and the glory of God, in the, pre in the presence of his glory, Lord, what do you want? And you're, you're calling on us to go and, and, and not be swept in, but rather rescue people. And we're calling to you, Lord, as Isaiah did, here we are, send us, Lord, send us into this city and into this region and into this GTA with a new resolve, Lord God, not to be part-time faith keepers, but, but actually full-time faith, oh God, that, that we understand that our city this week is, is taunting you, God. And we are so sorry. We are so sorry that our city is taunting you. And we are coming here with contrite hearts before you this morning, with broken hearts, burdened, O oh God, as we now sit at the table of the Lord knowing that you, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, died for us, that we could be saved from this, and that people in Toronto could all be rescued from ruining their lives and they don't want it, oh God. Father, I pray that we won't live as if we don't want it, but we will live with an all-in passion. First chair people, oh God, I pray. And may this receiving of the elements this morning be that first taste again of a fresh loyalty, I pray, for Jesus' sake, amen. Now, all of us are hoping that the Lord will come soon. Are we not? But the time of Isaiah was 800 years before Christ appeared on the scene. And we could be 800 years from Christ's return, which means we long for his appearing, but we work diligently, busy evangelizing this world because he may not return for centuries. And the call is, will there be faith on earth when Christ returns? And insofar as it is our responsibility, let us not falter on our watch. Let's make sure that we hand down our faith and that we preserve the salt and light responsibility in the GTA that is ours in these days. I want you to know that the manuscript will be um, available for you on the website because I know some of you are feverishly writing and probably frustrated with uh, how fast the slides went through. And Miss Ida is taking note of, of my request that it would be put on the website so you can find it if you want it. Every decision is first a God decision. Every decision is first a God decision. Our Father and our God, we give you praise and honor and glory, we adore you. We thank you for our salvation. Oh God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our propitiation, our substitute, our redeemer, the one who pardoned us, the, the one Father who was the ransom price for us. Oh God, we thank you and we praise you. And we ask, Lord God, that you would strengthen us to, to uh, be partners with you with the victor's crown. We are more than conquerors. We are not being defeated by the wickedness that is around us, but we are more than conquerors through Christ who saved us. And so, God, I pray this morning that you will lift us up with new passion and new strength and new energy and new power, not relying on human strength for security, but absolutely our security is in Christ alone. 
And so, our Father, we pledge our allegiance to you all over again this morning. In Jesus' name, and our people, God's people, said, Amen. 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 God bless you.